Good evening. Um, I made a, a joke with the deacons and then with y'all two weeks ago and then again this morning when talking about uh, placing my head in the can opener. Um, our, uh, some of our ministerial staff are so edifying and interested in building one another up that I got a farewell message um, at, uh, just before church started. Well, it's been good to know you. <clears throat> Tonight's passage is one of those, um, uh, one of those passages that seems to be uh, misunderstood, controversial, or misapplied. But it's next, and we're going verse by verse through First and Second Timothy in the book of Titus. And so, we're going to study it together. We're not going to shy away from getting into the, the harder parts of Scripture uh, just because they might be a little bit confusing. And there are some parts of this passage that leave us with questions. I don't think they're the parts of this passage that leave us with questions that you might want them to be. That is, the parts of the passage that our culture says are controversial may actually be pretty straightforward. Okay? So tonight, um, we're just going to go through the passage and take it all apart. Okay? Uh, when we are studying um, a passage like the one we're going to see, this is 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8 here in just a minute. When we get to this kind of passage, let's talk about how we're going to take it apart. First, we want to look at what does the text actually say. Because we're reminded that all Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by Him, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How much Scripture? All. all. How much is all? All. Okay? There's no question about the word all when uh, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Okay? So the, the word all is not in question. All right? So we look at what the text says. Then we're going to look at what the context of the passage in the time it was written. So, we, you know, uh, what we believe about how we got the Word of God is um, that the Spirit spoke it to human authors and told them what to write down. Well, the human authors were not outside of the time that they existed in and wrote, wrote it all down. So there were things happening in the churches around Paul, the ones he was involved with, the ones he's instructing Timothy about particularly. There are things going on in those churches that Paul is addressing specifically. So there are contextual things that we need to understand. We look at the text and then the context. And then we look at why it's in the Bible in the first place, the canonical position. Why do we have this for us? Why did the Spirit give it? Why has He preserved it? Okay? So text, context, canon, and concern. Why is this applicable to us today? Why does it concern us in 2023 uh, 
what matters about this passage. So we're going to take it apart from those lenses, okay, so that we can try to understand uh, what, where Paul uh, is going. But we recall, in this case and in every case, that all Scripture is authoritative. Let me read you some of the, the, the first section of the Baptist faith and message. It's about the Scripture. Uh, this, the Baptist faith and message is this church's confession of faith. Y'all adopted it right after it was revised and passed in the year 2000. Y'all adopted it and put it right there in the Constitution and bylaws. It is the statement of what this church believes and teaches. And nothing that we teach in here can be taught or in, or in any of our life groups, in any of our discipleship programs, uh, preschool, children, students, um, young adults, median adults, senior adults. Nothing that we teach in those settings can contradict the confession of faith of this church. Okay? So here's what it says about the scripture. The Holy Bible is written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God's, God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is, and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all con human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. As we look into a passage that has been debated and considered and pulled apart by uh, theologians over the centuries, we have to go back to the simple confession that the Word of God is the Word of God. And sometimes when things are hard for us to get our modern, postmodern, Western minds and sensibilities around, we evaluate all of those things, our conceptions about the Scripture, the biases that we bring to the Scripture, we evaluate those things through the fact that the Word of God is completely true and trustworthy. It, and it attests to itself. It is self-proving. It's the only document, the only religious and historical doc, uh, document, the only statement of faith that is self-proving in all of human history. And so... We don't evaluate our, our, the Bible through our own opinions and sensibilities and experiences. We conform our opinions, our experiences, and our sensibilities to what the Bible says. Okay? That's a, a fair start, I hope, to understanding what truth we're going to see in God's Word tonight. The Southern Baptist Convention was a couple of weeks ago in New Orleans. Uh, I was there, it seems like, uh, about three years ago now, because since the SBC um, 
we've had VBS, and I've been to Cuba. Um, and now I'm back, uh, back in the States, and we're talking about uh, women serving in the church again. At the Southern Baptist Convention, there were uh, some um, controversial moments in how to apply Baptist doctrine and order to the uh, ability of three churches to remain in friendly cooperation with the convention. I do not believe that the convention got those decisions wrong, any of the three. Two of them, one of them had to do with a church. Uh, and remember, every Southern Baptist church is autonomous. So you can, the churches can choose how to, um, how to order themselves. They can choose how to uh, apply scripture. There is no denominational authority that says this is what you believe and this is how you apply it. Okay, that, that, to, do that to do otherwise is not Baptist, or at least not Southern Baptist. Okay, but... There are one of, one of those churches um, had uh, publicly endorsed a, a credibly accused sex offender as its pastor, and then lied to the credentials committee about it. That that vote passed the convention at like ninety-two percent. Okay, the, that church was expelled. The other two cases were appeals of a decision of the credentials committee to expel them. Um, from the convention or to judge them not in friendly cooperation and thus disfellowship them um, based on their teaching about the, uh, the scriptural qualification of who can be a pastor. Okay. One of them was Rick Warren's um, Saddleback Church. The other one is uh, a church here in, in Kentucky. Um, both of them unique situations, Saddleback being the, uh, the giant, um, you know, mega, super mega church, 15,000 a week on Sundays, multiple campuses. Uh, also, Rick Warren, uh, our church has taught um, Rick Warren's material here for years. Um, and, and I'm not telling you that we, that we shouldn't, uh, but their decision in a couple of things kind of stuck their thumb in the eyes of the convention such that uh, after they knew that the credentials committee was um, uh, trying to determine whether they had a woman teaching in authority, they decided to double down on that and they hired, um, in, uh, hired a, a, a lady to be the teaching pastor for the church. And it's just simply outside of the doctrine and order of the church, of, of Southern Baptists, to do that. Because also in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 is a line where it talks about the two offices of the church are deacons and elders, pastors. And the office of pastor is reserved for men as qualified by Scripture. We're going to get to that when we talk about uh, qualifications for overseers uh, later on in um, this series of messages. Okay, so uh, Saddleback Church, um, was the, the convention voted um, by a margin of like 82 uh, to 18 um, to sustain the decision of the Credentials Committee and disfellowship Saddleback. Um, they also sustained the decision of the Credentials Committee to disfellowship Fern Creek Baptist Church in Louisville, 
um, which was an entirely different uh, situation. But it involved a lady who's the, who is the senior pastor. The media headlines were immediately, Southern Baptists hate women. <laughs> like you, you, they, like the, the headlines and most of the story could have been written before whatever action the convention took ever took place. Because those were the preconceived notions of the situation. That Baptists as a group of our 48,000 churches hate women. That's absolutely not the case. The decisions that we made, I think, were the right ones. And there are a lot of different reasons why. You can be a Southern Baptist church and have women serving in ministry. And we're not going to get the credentials committee into going into the, the country's churches looking for women who are serving um, in leadership roles. Okay, that's not, that's not what the SBC is going to do. But the application of the scripture here matters in how a church is ordered. And so that's why the convention has taken the action that it has. It also happens to be the next passage that we're going to talk about tonight. I just thought you might like to know what happened in New Orleans. And when you read the headlines like Southern Baptists hate women, then you understand um, that obviously that's false. And what, but what's behind it? Let's look at the passage together. First Timothy two. Starting in verse eight. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's pray. God, we know that this is your word. We pray that you would help us to see the experiences of our lives in light of it and not to see it in light of our experiences. We pray that we would be careful to depend on what it says we pray that you would help me to uh, teach what it says and nothing that it doesn't say. And we pray that you would use your word to strengthen your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we've established that God's word is inerrant, infallible, authoritative, and sufficient for life. And when we get sideways with one another about something on which the Word of God has spoken, we get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. But we're Baptists, so that happens, right? 
people will see uh, what we're going to talk about people will, tonight. People will see this differently. Okay, This is not uh, our interpretation of this particular um, passage and thus the doctrine that comes from it is not something that divides whether a person is a Christian or not. The, if you apply some theological triage, things that are first order matters are things that, to, that determine whether a person is saved. This doesn't do that. To misapply this passage in church order does not have anything to do with salvation. It does, however, become a second order item in that churches divide themselves into denominations by these things. We order ourselves with other churches of like order. Okay? So it's important to understand the, um, the order of these, uh, these doctrines. This is a misapplication here does not mean um, that anyone's uh, salvation is in question. It may help draw the line on whether they're Baptist or not particularly Southern Baptist, probably Kentucky Baptist, West Union Baptist for sure, and Lone Oak Baptist, okay? All right, so number one, Paul tells us in verse 8 there to end divisions. By the way, the title of this message is Enjoying God's Design um, because I believe that when God has designed something and set a particular order for something, he intends for us to enjoy it and to thrive in it, right? So number one, we need to end divisions. Verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray. Okay, and he says, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. He starts with, I desire then. What could that possibly mean then? It means it's connected to the the passage before that Bob preached the other night about um, urging that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. Right? Jesus desires that all people should be saved. Okay, so because of these things, because of these things, then this. This is a a continuation of the previous argument. He says to the men to pray for all people. He, He intends for divisions over all kinds of different things end, and he intends for the men to lead in mending those divisions. He says, with holy, lifting holy hands. This is a prayer posture in, uh, that, that dates to early Judaism. The Jewish, the Jewish people, the, the men would pray in the synagogue with their hands out, palms out, up, like this. It indicated that I have I'm ready to receive. My hands are clean and, and holy to you, Lord. I'm ready to receive what you're going to tell me. And because Paul is, is saying that it belongs to the men to end these divisions so that their hands will be clean of, of anything going on inside the church, because he's building on uh, the, also against the warning against false teachers, things that are creeping into the church that shouldn't be there. He's building on those things. In order to get rid of those divisions, the men have to, have to end the divisions and wash their hands of all of it. 
and present themselves holy and blameless to the Lord. So this starts, the, the whole passage then starts with the men. We end divisions. Number two, eliminate distractions. Uh, verses 9 and 10. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Okay. Um, does anybody in here want to try and make a case that braiding your hair and wearing it braided to church is sinful? I don't think so. In, that, in the context of that time, remember we're looking back at what is the context of the passage. In the context of that time, first century, uh, in the church at Ephesus, ladies would make themselves visible and attractive in ways that would distract from what was going on in the worship of God. Um, Pliny the Elder, who is a, a first century historian, writes of um, women of high society in that day who would wear dresses that we would price in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. They would, they would put on all of their jewelry and all of their gold and braid their hair up for the purpose of getting men to pay attention to them at church. So that's what Paul is, is talking about when he says um, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. The actual, what he's saying about braided hair and gold and all of that, those things are not sinful. But the principle of, of distracting from what the Lord is doing in the assembly is the sinful behavior. There's also another thing that's happening. We don't know that it's happening in the church at Ephesus. He's writing, obviously, if he's writing to Timothy, he's writing about Ephesus. We don't know that it's happening there, but we know it was happening in Corinth. And what's happening is that there are some, there are some ladies in the church who are convincing the younger ladies not to get married. Okay? Not that big a deal. Except what, what all the ladies were doing was gathering at... Uh, after the assembly and gossiping about one another. And Paul is intent on ending that particular practice because it's not healthy, it's not building up the body. So he wants to end that from happening as well. Another thing that, that was happening is that some, some of the ladies of the church, particularly at Corinth, were contradicting the teaching of the elders at the time. The elders would teach, and then the women would give some interpretation that was contrary to what was just taught. And this is, this is not an uncommon thing in, in first century for, for uh, any kind of um, philosophical teaching to be debated. Well, the teaching of the elders, when they're teaching the Word of God in the assembly, uh, the congregation is not really up for debate in that setting. And so Paul is teaching against that. He wants all of those distractions to end. Get rid of them. Get rid of the division. Get rid of the distraction. Ladies, be, be modest and self-controlled when you come to church is what he's saying because it was a, something that was happening at the time with the church in Ephesus. So I think it's important for us to understand what he's driving at. 
It might also be important to, to consider uh, whether our motivations, men or women or whomever, whether our motivations when we come to church are to impress one another or to gather with God's people in worship of the Lord. That's a, that's, there, you can read that caution right into the scripture. Whatever else you're here for, if it's not to worship the Lord, we don't need you to be here because it's distracting to what someone who is there to worship the Lord might be doing. That's men or women, doesn't matter. Okay. So we want to end division and eliminate uh, distraction and then embrace distinctions. uh, Verses 11 through 15. And I'm just going to take these apart with every statement, okay? Learn quietly. In the ESV it says, learn quietly with all submissiveness. Learn quietly. Your... Your version may say, receive instruction. Um, It's rendered a little bit differently in some of the different English translations because these last few verses have some, uh, there's some disagreement over what what it means. Um, There were lots of Jews in that day who believed that women should not be part of the rabbi's instruction, that there was no point in teaching women. They weren't barred from the synagogue. They just weren't encouraged to learn. Uh, The status of the average woman in Greek society um, wasn't much better. It's one of the reasons that that women tried to, that rich women tried to distinguish themselves and attract themselves to to gaining attention in the the assembly so that that they would have some worth and value. They would feel some worth and value. Um, But Paul says here, let the women learn quietly. Paul wanted them to be part of worship. But worship and teaching of the word also needed to reflect God's created order. Um, he wants the ladies to, to hear what is being taught in the assembly. The culture would, would have said, there's no point in that. And Paul turned that around. Jesus had done the same thing. Nowhere in the New Testament are women treated as spiritual inferiors. The first person Jesus revealed his messiahship to was the first person Jesus received, revealed his messiahship to was a woman. He healed women. He taught women, which was scandalous in that day, by the way. Another, it was another reason that the Pharisees uh, were mad at him. Mary and Martha were among his closest friends. Women ministered to Jesus and to the disciples. When he was raised from the dead, he saw Mary Magdalene first. He could have chosen anybody to appear to. He was a resurrected Jesus at that point. Women and men were involved in prayer services in the early church. We see that in Acts 1. The disciples are all huddled together, and, it, and the scripture names the disciples And then says they were in one accord devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Paul extols the work of women in the church. Phoebe was a deaconess. Priscilla and Aquila both taught Apollos. Women taught other women. And Paul affirmed all of this if you look at Titus 2. And we're going to get there um, later in this series. He says in in Titus 2, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves, to much wine there to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. 
So Paul wanted women to be involved in the assembly. He said, then he uses the word submissiveness, with all submissiveness. Now, this is a really hot-button issue in our day. Our modern sensibilities uh, don't, don't like the word submit very much. It seems like nobody really wants to uh, consider what godly submission might mean. But Jesus himself modeled it. He was, he was in every way God. He was equal, co-equal with God the Father, and still he submitted himself to the will of the Father when he was on earth, right? He submitted himself to what he was here to do. Submission is not about um, power and control ever. Godly submission says, I can subordinate Myself, my will to what you are teaching me because I trust you to lead me to do what God wants us to do. This is part of the created order. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God the Father. For all of human history... Since Genesis 3, we've been pushing against God's created order. And it is the, the enemy's chief aim to make us continue fighting about it. Then Paul says, uses the words, exercise authority. Now, this passage does not in any way rule out women teaching. It rules out women filling the office of pastor or elder and teaching in the assembly where we are gathered in here in the sanctuary, in the worship center for the primary uh, worship of God. He says, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over man. And we're going to talk about how we apply that here at Lone Oak in just a minute. Then he says... Uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam, uh, this is back to the, the created order, the way uh, God created headship to be, that uh, Adam is the representative of man to God because he was the first one. Jesus is referred to as the second Adam the completed representative of man because of his work. We got the punishment that went with the first representative of man and his work. And one of the punishments of the fall is the constant back and forth over uh, God's created order. But even though it was Eve who was deceived and took the apple first, Adam gave up his job. He abandoned his job to stop Eve, and he joined in the transgression. And thus, he received, Adam, as the representative of, of humanity, received the punishment that, is now, that now comes out to all of us. So even though, yes, it was Eve that, that did it, Adam didn't stop her, and he, 
and he's responsible. Okay, so this leads to a, uh, our understanding of uh, complementarity. How men and women complement one another in our roles. You can read, the, there's a whole uh, um, doctrinal position on this. It's called the Danvers Statement, and I don't disagree with anything in the Danvers Statement. Um, it's, it is a confession that, uh, that a lot of um, our understanding and application of these principles is based on. All right. But basically, complementarianism is this, that men, are, men were, were created to do some things and women were created to do some things with particular roles that God, in his created order, men are to work and provide and women are to uh, work in the home and, um, as Paul says here, be saved through childbearing. We'll get there. But that there are distinct complementary roles for women and men. The complementarity is kind of visible in all of creation. That there is a way that men and women fit together. We're not simply talking about uh, physically, it's also spiritually, emotionally. There are things that we're built for that complement one another. Okay. So Paul says some things here. There's one line that leaves us with some questions. And there are two or three different interpretations. And I'll give you two of them, and I'll tell you where I land. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Is it possible for anyone in the new covenant, is it possible for anyone in the new covenant to do anything that saves them? No. Salvation, actual salvation, your place in eternity is secured for you by the work of Jesus Christ. You are invited to repent and believe by his kindness. Okay? Paul is not saying that women who give birth will be saved. Some scholars believe this passage has to do with the way back to Genesis 3 and the seed of a woman uh, where it's referring to uh, Jesus, descent, uh, Jesus being a descendant of the woman, that that's what Paul's talking about here. I don't, think, I don't think it is because that's not in the context of what's happening in the rest of the passage. The other, the other interpretation is that Paul's using a figure of speech when he says uh, childbearing. He's using it to sum up everything that women do with one word. And w when we render it out of the Greek, it comes out to the word that we use, childbearing. Okay. But his point, his point is about the, the unique roles that men have and women have and not about actual salvation, lest we be confused. Because it is confusing. And your, in fact, your, um, your translation may say 
women shall be preserved so that it's a little bit less confusing than saved. It's just a, an, an odd spot where we're not 100% sure of where he was going with those words, but we know in the complete thought of things where he was headed. And he's not going to contradict any other scripture as he does so. Okay, that was an aside. So, how do we apply these things at Lone Oak? We have uh, two offices. This will kind of set us up to move on into chapter 3. We have two offices, elder and deacon. We don't call the elders, we don't call elders, we call them pastors. The word elder is synonymous. It's used interchangeably throughout Scripture with the same word for pastor, bishop, and overseer. Okay? They're all used interchangeably. Then we have deacons, or uh, men who are of the diaconate, and the word we get um, minister from is also the same word as deacon. Okay? And all of that's straight out of Acts 6. You can read about it uh, later. The deacons were appointed literally to serve tables because the Greek widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, and the elders needed to be able to devote themselves to the teaching of the word and to prayer. So the deacons were appointed to serve the needs of the congregation. Well, in, in our setting here at Lone Oak, it is in the order and practice of this church that only men serve as deacons. I believe the scripture does allow for women to be deaconesses if the office of elder is being filled uh, appropriately as outlined in in scripture. But at Lone Oak and in most Southern Baptist churches, we order ourselves so that um, uh, only men serve as deacons. But we have ladies serving in hundreds of leadership roles in this church. Literally hundreds. You are uh, building, ladies, you are building this church and making disciples. Um, You're teaching and in every age group. Singing in the choir, you're helping to, to lead in worship. You're working in uh, missions efforts. Men and women are equally called and gifted for all kinds of things. But anyone who teaches uh, from the pulpit opens the word of God and expounds on it, preaching, that role here is reserved for the, an elder, particularly uh, in our application, the lead elder or the senior pastor, That office is presently vacant. Um, But women are involved. You can, praying in church. Uh, In the first century, they were also prophesying in church. That's a little bit, uh, a little something different. But um, ask me one day and I'll tell you all about a sweet lady in my last church um, who, who had, it was absolutely in my mind, she had the gift of prophecy. Um, and, and she could, uh, where she's helping to divide, uh, help people divide their sin from their actions and, and sort those things out, not um, predicting the future. 
Anyone, though, who teaches here at Lone Oak, men or women, you have to be submitted to the authority of the pastors. In our context here, uh, that's the senior pastor, the executive pastor, and and Brother Mark. Um, We call him the minister of music, but he is the pastor who has authority over the teaching um, about worship and in worship. You can't teach something at Lone Oak that is outside of this church's statement of faith, and we've all agree, agreed together that it's a Baptist faith and message. You made this part, uh, this confession part of your constitution years ago. So anyone teaching anything contradictory to this confession of faith is out of bounds, and the church has agreed uh, to that. So men who teach submit their teaching to the authority of the elders of this church who are submitted because we're congregationalists We are submitted to the decision of the congregation to adopt a confession of faith. And it's our job as the elders to protect this, the the teaching of the word in this assembly to only the things that are inside the bounds of that confession of faith. And all other teaching is in submission to that end. Everything else flows out of that. Um... Ladies, if you're teaching kids or students or a ladies' class or even a mixed class where men and women are present, you still are submitted. You submit yourself to the authority of the, the word in the context at Lone Oak, which is under the authority of the elders of this church and its sufficiency within the bounds of this church's confession of faith so that we can understand how to rightly order ourselves. We rest on the truth of the Word of God. And if it sets, if the Word of God has set up an order that our modern sensibilities don't understand, then we have to conform ourselves to what the Word says. And only men, according to the Scripture here, are qualified for the office of pastor, elder, uh, overseer. I think I'm going to start calling the new senior pastor Bishop. I may just start calling Dan Bishop. Uh, But it's the the same word. I hope that helps uh, understand how we apply some of these things. Literally, any other role within the church, as long as it is submitted, and this is men and women, any other role in the church, as long as they're submitted to the authority of the Word of God and uh, as interpreted by the, the confession of faith and the elders of this church, can participate in any leadership role. Serve on, ladies can serve on committees. That's not true in every church, in our, even in our association. Um, women can serve uh, in, as Sunday school teachers, life group teachers, Women can serve um, in all kinds of uh, age-graded disciple-making positions. There is nothing that the, that the Scripture prohibits women from being involved in except the teaching of the Word in this assembly. But it is prohibited there. God who created all things to be perfect also has creator rights over us. And this is good news for us 
because he didn't leave us here to figure things out on our own. He gave us his word to tell us how to live and how to, how to our lives work best. The problem is we all messed that up when our, our representative Adam sinned and broke it all. But God in his kindness sent Jesus to put things back together. And even though we argue and disagree sometimes about how to do anything, one day Jesus is going to return and set all things right the way he intended it to be in the first place. And that's the simple gospel for us tonight. Is that if we trust in Jesus, believing in him, that he took the punishment that we deserve, we believe in him, depend on him with our whole lives, we will be saved. If tonight you realize that you haven't trusted in Christ for salvation, maybe you've heard a lot of the words that I've used or some of the concepts and you've wondered what in the world is he talking about? But you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation. Let that happen tonight. Come talk to one of us. I'll be down front. Uh, The ministers will be over here. We'll be glad to talk to you about that tonight. If you're watching online and you have any questions about uh, what it means to be a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, we would love to talk to you. Just text the word TODAY to 270-398-5005. Text that word TODAY and a minister will will contact you today about whatever spiritual questions you have. Let's stand together and pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word, that we can rest on it, we can depend on what it says. We pray that we would not be confused by it because you are not the author of confusion. God, we pray that we would seek your spirit to understand how to apply it to our lives. We pray tonight that if there's anybody here who hasn't trusted in you for salvation or needs to join this church or needs to be baptized by immersion, we pray that that decision would be made tonight. God, we ask that this church would in every way honor your word and bring glory to you as it points a lost world to a savior and redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray.